it's three times as much work than to operate in your local market. So only open new market if you need to. Hello, and a big welcome to Hot Sauce, where we'll cover the hottest topics within sauce together with brilliant guests. Are you also curious about fast-growing companies and the people behind them? Welcome aboard. My name is Max Nyman. I'm the CEO of LimeGo, and this is an interactive podcast where you can give suggestions on upcoming guests and topics. You can also jump into discussions with other listeners by leaving comments or upvoting their suggestions. I'm determined to become one of the greatest within B2B sauce, which is why I invite thought leaders and pick their brains about how to scale their companies. However, there are so many fast-growing companies out there and new ones appearing all the time. I only know a fraction, and that's why I want to give you the opportunity to have an impact on the episodes and its content. Hit the link in the episode to interact and affect. Enough already, let's get to it. All right, warm welcome, Timu. Thank you, Max. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you on board. Uh, for the people listening, uh, what is your role and which company are you at? Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder in Selai. Nice. And what uh, what kind of problems do you solve? What do you sell? Give me the give me the pitch. Selai helps very niche B two B companies, mostly SaaS companies to expand easily in Europe. If you have a niche B2B SaaS product, you need a local salesperson in every country, and it's impossible to recruit that person every time. We help you to collaborate with a professional without having to hire him, and also the sales work is transparent. Nice, and you described it a bit like uh, Uber, but for, for salespeople. <laughs> Yeah, basically, Uber is a very good example because in Uber, you order the cab with the app, and that's only half of the job when the car actually arrives to your yard. But when you jump in, there's also like in Uber app, it tells you like, okay, what's the route that we're going to take? What's the name of the driver? When are we going to get there? And also the payments are managed through the app. So there's a lot of things going on. Um in addition to the traditional matchmaking. So we're not only a matchmaking service, we also help with the collaboration with the sales agents. Yeah. Cool. And to set the scene a bit, uh, can you please elaborate on, on Sellai? Uh, how big are you in terms of revenue, number of people, uh, you are in the Finnish market and so on? Yes, so we are a startup as well. Uh, we are seed stage startup uh, we operate now in four countries, Sweden, Finland, Germany, and Netherlands. We have over 30 agents on the platform, plus 60 companies, and our in-house team is around 11 people. Mm-hmm. Our revenue, monthly revenue is around 80K, 90K. Mm-hmm. Cool. And uh, like, do you, do you sell the, the platform, and how complex would you say that that is, or is it more like a attracting a service? So some customers think that we are like in service business and sometimes it's, it takes us a bit of time to explain to them that we are actually a platform we'll give it a try. and how platforms work. Many times customers try to use us like normal SDR agencies or sales agencies that they have used to use in maybe their local markets and don't immediately realize like, it's the salesperson on the platform is entrepreneur and 
they just we just help them to collaborate together. That means also that maybe half of our deals come from inbound when like customers come and want to use us, but half of our deals come from active sales work that we actually need to teach customers how to use the platform. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, looking at this uh, very niched problem that you solve, how come you ended up founding Selai and uh, like what, uh, what brought you here? That's a very good question because I had the same problem that we are solving when when I got the idea for Selai. So I was head of marketing for this large B2B company and we had very niche products. Many times I had to do marketing campaigns and get customers for these products that only had around 500 possible customers in Finland. Yeah. And when I did marketing campaign, this was, by the way, just before GDPR. So I was able to do very, you know, stuff that you can't do today. Like I sent them <laughs> Not emails, illegal, but... Email. Yeah, yeah, basically. And <laughs> like the targeting was so much easier in all these tools. Like mm. I just uploaded like very short email lists and spanned these like display ads and everything. But many times it was so inefficient i still needed the salesperson to go there and ask if we can help them or challenge them or you know really bring the deal home so getting customers only by marketing if you have a niche product is too slow and expensive that you, you, it's not good for you. You need a salesperson. And then I figured out like, okay, if I have this problem, there's plenty of companies who have this problem. To be honest, it took us years to figure it out. Like, because everyone needs sales. Everyone came to us and asks like, do, can you sell this? Can you sell this? And it took us, took us a lot of time to figure out our niche as well. Like it sounds simple in a story. But it took some time. Mm. Yeah, cool. It's it's always nice to hear the background story of experiencing a problem and then taking it into your own hands and basically uh, founding it yourself. Mm. Definitely, definitely. Mm. Nice. And uh, let's uh, park that uh, topic for a while. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the the problems that you've seen and uh, like help the customers with. Uh, can you maybe share some best practice advice on the, yeah, if you want to say go to market, but like how to penetrate and like do the the um, the full sale, not only the the fifty percent of the marketing, as you said. Uh, when you're trying to open a new market. Exactly. Yes. So, I want to make clear. I I understand mostly about. B2B, niche B2B companies who have something to do with software. So basically niche B2B SaaS. So that's where I'm coming from. I don't know anything about consumer segment. And to this niche B2B segments, what's very interesting, what's very important when you start the expansion is that you do your homework properly. You have something to invest in this conquer because it's going to take you a lot of time to open that market and you need to be invested. You need to have the resources. 
And then I think what you really need to do is to respect the local competition that there is, and there definitely is local mm-hmm. competition and also the cultural nuances. And those two things are usually something that we overlook easily and really hurts our business in a long term. The faster we learn about local culture and local competition and we start to live with it and interact with it, the better the results are and the better it is for the business. But if you want to go to very, like, tactical level like how to open a market please go ahead basic, <laughs> elaborate yeah i i think it's basically do a market in europe in it's do a market study figure out what countries are best for you uh, have some data to support you uh, when you find the market do quick tests if you're able to do some tests with marketing, whatever it is, like buy lists, do some campaigns, see if there's any traction, that's good. Uh, find a local person. When you start meeting the customers and you need to follow up the customers, do it with a local language. You can hire a salesperson. You can use service like uh, us, which is the platform, or you can try to find a local SDR service or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you need a local person to do it and very quickly determine if the traction that you see is something that you want to look deeper into like you want to stay on that market or you want to get out from that market and if you uh, end up like uh, making a decision that you want to get out from the market that's some kind of a decision that you should be able to make and execute in a month to save money. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes is that when opening a new market, we think too long about all the decisions that we make. And this is like big boys game. Everything mm. costs a lot. Yeah. So basically have a have an exit plan in mind if it doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. Have an exit plan plan before you start the expansion. But I think that's also something that uh, is kind of difficult when to know to to give up, basically. Because obviously we've done all the research, the prep work, and then you go in and then it's like, ah, maybe sometime soon we'll like break through. How do you know when to exit and when to continue the push? Yeah, I think that's exactly something that you have to determine before you open the market. So you give it some statistics and some time, some schedule, and then you and then you give it obviously a budget. Then you time that times that by three, like three x that. Like if your first budget is like okay, we do it with hundred k, you need three hundred, and this is by famous Finnish very good entrepreneur Kim Bison and says this. And yeah, we, totally... we we used to say multiply everything with the pi. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. The same rule, the pi rule. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly the same. And when you have this, like, okay, these are the this is the traction that I'm looking for and this is the budget and this is the time limits that I'm doing it and you times that by pi. Mm. And then you start operating and you execute 
by it. If you reach it, then you set another goal that you will be happy. And then you reach that. And then you set another goal. And one, one person actually asked me once, like, when do you know that the market, like you actually got the market? Like when, when did you succeed to penetrate the markets? And my yeah. answer to that is that when you're profitable, you can say like, okay, now we are in the markets. Uh, but honestly, never. Because even in your local market, you're under constant com- competition. Like if you stop developing your product and service, eventually competitors are going to come and eat your business out. So you're, you're never ready in business. You always go forward. And I think that's the attitude when you open a new market. You always just think about the next step. Do I have the funding? Do I have the resources? Do I have the time? Do I have the interest and traction to keep going? If yes, then keep going. If no, end it and end it quickly. And this is also why I think that's in modern societies, all these kind of like uh, different platform services. For an example, there is a legal platform. Now there is a sales platform and uh, there is a platform that you can hire anyone yeah. uh, from the country basically these really help you out because if you hire from the local market every time you open a new market this decision making just becomes very difficult and that yeah. makes the expansion slower and slow speed means higher expenses yeah. so the agility is a key yeah and and the talking about the like success factors as you said you have to set up some sort of plan then you have to evaluate and if with that number that's a good and 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 uh, bad what would you say are good uh, keys to evaluate if you've succeeded or not is it like amount of customers is it uh, revenue is it like impressions if we're talking about marketing and brand awareness what kind of uh, metrics do you think are good there yeah i think that really depends if it's the first market that you're going to open, like the first new market in Europe that you're going to open, or have you already opened like five? Because every time you get a bit smarter, what are you actually looking for? But if it's the first market, I think very good rule is to understand that it's going to be very different deal than your local markets. There's plenty of reasons. One People actually know you, they know your business, they maybe know your mom or they went to the same high school. There's so much trust built to that market already for you to make yeah. those deals that it's going to be very different when you open open a new market. So um, it's way different to operate in there where you have absolutely nothing. So don't expect same kind of deal cycles or don't expect same kind of conversion rates immediately. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. Mm. But definitely you need to decide on something. Like you just have to say, okay, let's three times this as well. Like let's say that if the deal cycles, if we're starting to close deals in, in like three times the same time as in, our local markets, it means that we are in business Mm. or it takes us three times more effort. I think that's a good way to start. But uh, 
always remember that we can come down from there. We can optimize it later and we're going to optimize it later. Mm. And I think that there, you're, you're touching upon the, like, the difficulty of going to market because as you say, some metrics could be as simple as multiplying by pi and some could be half of it and double and you don't really know the, the success rate until quite late. And uh, that's obviously the um, uh, yeah the tough spot in in uh, assigning a new market and uh, evaluating it. Yeah, I think so. And and I think there's two lessons. One is that sales is only about creating trust to the buyer and communicating value of your product. Yeah. That's sales. Create trust, communicate value. And and you need to have them both to be able to make the deal. Good example about this is that uh, once this Nigerian prince, he sent me an email and said that he gives me $20 million. Yeah, one of those. If I send him 2,000 euros, that's a huge value prop. Yeah. You know, like who doesn't take that deal? Yeah. Well, I didn't take it because there was no trust. I'm not sure if it was even the prince who sent it, sent it. Like, obviously, there's there was no trust, so no deal is gonna happen. Yeah. And even like, uh, even if there is a lot of trust, but there is really no value, you really don't want to make the deal either. And you need them both. So this is the first lesson. And when you open a new market, it means that you might have the value, you might have the best product in the world, but your trust is zero. No one knows you. No one has bought from you. You are, mm. you are weird. You don't even talk the same <laughs> yeah. language. You know, like there's yeah. the amount of trust is zero. That's where you have to start. And that's why the deal cycles are going to be long. And that's why the price of the customer, the first customers, is going to be high but it's going to get lower when you have the first customers because then you also get some trust okay this is the first lesson okay. the second lesson is that this is especially about europe even though we are very close to each other the cultures especially when doing sales are different for an example uh, in Finland and Sweden are very good examples. Uh, both Nordic countries, basically same kind of value base and, you know, mm. um, people consider them pretty much alike. Yeah. The difference is that the decision-making culture in Finland is very top-down. We have a leader who says something and he can actually go to the team and say, like, guys, you're going to do this and you're going to do it like this. And people think, like, okay, that's a strong leader. He, he does his job because he comes and tells us what to do. Yeah. And in Sweden, well, you probably know it's more equalitarian. <laughs> yep. So there's a lot of yeah. discussion, even though it might be sometimes even the theater, like everyone gets their voice out or, or something. But like yeah. if you go there as a leader and you, you, you are a top-down leader, you look bad. You know? Like people don't like to be yeah. led that way. So in Finland, top-down sales work pretty well. In Sweden, top-down sales, it doesn't do much. You know, 
you, you still have to have the team. You need to have the hero there to have the discussion. So the sales culture is different. And the other thing uh, is the difference between these cultures is that Sweden is like Swedish people tend to avoid confrontation. Like they don't want to fight. I Finnish people love it. Well, Finnish <laughs> people are more used to it. Like in Finland, you can actually go to a yeah. person and not really say anything except that like what's wrong with them. And they're very happy and they start trusting mm. you because they're, oh, that was so open and honest. And, you know, it's they don't think it as a big deal. So this means that in Finland, you might feel like that's a good salesperson if you call to a head of you know, marketing and tell them like, yeah, I went to your website, you know, I, I saw this problem, you know, you need to fix this. It's embarrassing. I can help you. This is the product. And this is a good way to yeah. start the sales cycle. But in Sweden, it might not work like that. So if you put your best Finnish person, even if he spoke the perfect Swedish to Sweden and tried to do the same sales, it's not going to bring the same results. And this happens in every culture that we have. So even if if an AI yeah. can translate your voice from Finland to uh, Finnish to Swedish, it doesn't guarantee the results. Doesn't do all the job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that uh, that note, I actually had a, a former colleague who uh, looked at a company and saw that they were performing bad in terms of revenue, like the numbers were red and everything. And then he called them and then he pitched that, yeah, I saw that your numbers are red. Uh, what if you buy our product and then everything will become green? Uh, that didn't land so well in, in the Swedish uh, <laughs> cultural sense. Maybe it's going to be a, a bit more open-minded in the Finnish market. I don't know. Yes, actually, I have a similar kind of story. Um, I was representing one of our early uh, customers years ago, and I went for them. I was like rocking the sales in Finland, and I... I went to Netherlands to sell their product. And during this work trip, I met like five different customers. And in those sales meetings, I have very high EQ, like emotional intelligence. I felt like it's going pretty well, but something is off. I quite don't know what, but I continued. And like all in all, I felt like this was as good as in Finland. I'm definitely going to make some deals here. They were actually very good customers. Like we were so good for them. I'm, I was so excited about the trip. And when I, every every one of them said it to me, smiled to me after the meeting and said like, yeah, this is very good product. We're going to definitely buy this. I went back to Finland. I was excited. I reported to everyone. <laughs> it's going to be a huge success. I was not yeah. able to reach any of them with email, phone, LinkedIn, nothing. And they even smiled to me and said they're going to take it. And they didn't. And I trusted them. <laughs> and that felt very bad. But that was my first lesson that my spider sense was tickling that something is off. But because I didn't have the cultural nuance, mm. cultural understanding, I didn't know what it was. But I, I definitely know that they knew what it was. Something was up. And and 
And that's super interesting. How would you say that you can tap into that? How can you go through the like fake facade? Because I can imagine a lot of people in both Netherlands and Sweden perhaps are very uh, polite and it looks very good and so on. But how do you ask the question to like challenge them into being honest? Yes. That is... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That is the exact reason why you need a local person. Like, I don't say lightly. Yeah. I will hope that we could everyone speak English in this world and just get along. But it doesn't work like that. You need to have that cultural nuance. And it's not just like between borders. Like, it's also in Finland, if you sell something in Helsinki, it doesn't work the same way in Lapland. So there's yeah. also cultures inside one one country. And you're able to do it. Yes, you can sell from Finland to anywhere in the world. Yes, it's possible. But there's going to be more friction. And that's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And friction can sometimes also be aligned with, the, with cost because you have to invest more. Of friction course. is always aligned with cost. It makes it slower yeah. or more expensive. Yeah, yeah. But uh, talking a bit about because now we're talking about the differences in terms of culture, and uh, I can imagine, for example, that uh, both Finnish and Germany are a bit more aligned in terms of the hierarchical, top-down decision making, and so on. Maybe Sweden and Netherlands are a bit similar. Uh, can you share some of the perhaps uh, red threads that go between markets, which is more of yeah? Here we have a, a pattern, so to say. I can't recall everything out from my mind, but we have used this culture map by Erin Mayer. And she has mm-hmm. described all these different kind of uh, characteristics of these cultures very well. And also I have to say that it's it's also very different in different business fields. So if you are in um, software developments, those teams tend to be more alike or united across the world, maybe because they have like multicultural teams easily. But when you go maybe to HR, it can be very different experience if you talk to Finnish HR team than Danish HR team. But one very interesting thing about this is that it all has a reason like there's some historical historical context why this happens and for example this finnish swedish example and also german example goes here very well is that finland and germany had been in world war ii not so long ago so it's not like 20 years ago most of our leaders had maybe seen war or their fathers had been in there or their executives, their first bosses, where they're also like hey. 30% of Finnish population has been in the army. So there's a lot of like this kind of top-down military kind of attitude uh, in in Finland and in, uh, in Germany. And Sweden, 200 years of peace, uh it's 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 way different yeah. like that's how those evolved every country has their own background and that's where this kind of behavior comes from hmm. yeah it makes a lot of sense and uh if 
a company has a bit of an issue with going to market, let's say, what kind of signals or red flags would you recommend uh, them to look out for before like overspending and uh, experiencing the friction and the, uh, the cultural clashes and everything? Yes, I think that is exactly the reason that there's uh, that you need to have a good plan in the beginning. And you have to be invested for a long time uh, to get the market open. For an example, invest like, okay, we're going to do 300K and a year on this market to figure out if we're able to reach this traction, then we're going to stay. And the reason for this is that there's going to be a lot of surprises during that first year. So you don't need to push and pull all the time like let's go let's get out from here no let's stay you can just focus on executing and uh you know according to the plan and maybe make changes to the plan but you're already invested so the first red flag is that if you don't have a plan and budget and you're not invested that's a red flag don't start but still many people start Uh, and the second one is there's going to be a lot of partners who want to work with you, who are interested about your money, uh, who want to help you market there, who says that they know people, they know networks. You know, networks, really, that's like snake oil, of modern snake oil, basically. Uh, <laughs> okay. Elaborate. Well, why is it uh, not working? It works very well with physical products that you need to get on the shelves. Um, so that kind of like portfolio managing, it works very well, but it doesn't work with software. Uh, it doesn't work in our business. Usually there is some shady companies, well, uh, or shady people who say like, I have a lot of networks and can help you get into the country. And it's very untransparent what they do. Like you're not even sure, like if they're doing anything, the deal cycles are long, so it can take six months of pain and suffering and, you know, difficult discussions until you figure out like, okay, let's just stop this. So everything you do, you have to get data or some sort of transparency. What are you getting? With marketing, it's pretty easy to get the data. In sales, everything to your pipe drive, uh, even quality reports somehow. Uh, that's why we have also our workspace. We know that it's going to be an issue if you don't have the qualitative reporting. So everything needs to be transparent. Otherwise, don't spend money. Um, yeah. And other red flags, I feel like most, there's a lot of people who want to work with, you know, internationalized sales or like expansion sales. But really, <laughs> there's not many people who are willing to do it and willing to really do the hard work in it. Like many people want to go to new country and have a lunch or dinner with possible customers. But, you know, that's like 2% of the job. Yeah. So, And then there's the traveling, the time differences. Maybe you romanticize the, the nice things, but you forget about the... The boring parts yeah you have to do three times more work to get one customer and it's not like taking them 
to a dinner. It's like people, three dinners. I, That's I nice. Like three people, courses. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of fantasies from movies that is like very cool to open new market, but it, it it's not cool. It's very difficult and it's hard work. It's three times as much work than to operate mm. in your local market. So only open new market mm. if you need to. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Nice. Uh, let's go into a, a quick segment. So we're going to shoot some quick questions and I want some quick answers. All right. That's cool. Okay. So favorite tool in your tech stack? I have to say PipeDrive. Oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> it's a competitor. I'll allow it though. Uh, if you were to give a, uh, a sales advice to uh, someone that is really, really good that you've heard and maybe implemented yourself, what would that be? I think what I said before, that sales is only about trust, building trust and communicating value. Hmm. What would you say is um, the best thing about sauce in general? I think that's the best thing about sauce is that you can predict the future so well. And uh, what would you say is the worst thing about sauce? The worst thing about sauce is that unfortunately, many times there's too many customers paying for a product that they don't really use or get value from. And I think that's sad. Yeah. Here, here. Uh, one thing that you use uh, ChatGPT for? I use it daily, maybe 10 times. Uh, if just one thing, to start my LinkedIn posts. Yep. Get some inspo. Yeah. Cool. And last one. If you were to give some advice for a young person starting out their career, what would that be? I think in the United States, they give very good example in business schools that start from sales. And then you really get the understanding what business really is, because then you need to talk with customers. You need to understand business metrics and you really need to do hard work to be able to create value. I think that's it. Start with sales. Start with sales. Hmm? Simple. Nice. Cool. Thank you. Uh, good job. We'll leave the uh, quick uh, segment. Uh, moving on to another uh, theme is a bit about uh, yeah, culture and hiring and onboarding. Uh, is there anything in particular that you're looking for when hiring? Have you uh, seen some pitfalls to avoid or is there uh, some parts in your perhaps hiring process that you're proud of that uh, you are doing to find the right people? Hiring is very difficult. <laughs> it's very yeah. expensive. It's very slow. It's very risky. And I suggest that um, many times, if, if you have an alternative to hiring, consider it. Good example is that we didn't hire our own tech team in the beginning because we didn't know what tech we should use. Uh, we only hired the product manager. Uh, we, well, we are a good example, like hiring salespeople is very difficult. It takes a long time. And if you hire a salesperson, 
it's very probable that that person is going to leave after six months. So then you mm. really get nothing. And but when hiring, so, so you basically did you hire the product manager and let that person assign the the team and the the tech stack and everything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, when hiring like other people, obviously you need people to run the processes and do the business. So in hiring, I will say the first thing is hire people who fit into your culture and who are very smart. And smart people figure out stuff. They don't need to know it already. They figure out stuff. So if you're able to deliver these two things from your candidates, get them in. Bonus. If they're interested about it or excited about it, they're definitely going to figure it out. But I'd rather hire a smart person, like very smart person, than a person with experience. Yeah, but uh, that makes a lot of sense. But how, how, do, you f- how do you find the, uh, the smart people and, uh, and get them on board? Because, uh, yeah, of course you want to hire those, right? But uh, how, how do you actually attract those and, and uh, figure them out? I, I think that's very difficult. I don't even have an answer to that. Um, yeah. If you are a growing SaaS business, though, uh, then there's like very good, for example, in Finland, there's Talent B, uh, a very specialized company for this kind of services. Um, but maybe, you know, try to get help because hiring alone is it's it's so slow and tricky. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And uh, it's time to wrap up. Uh, I am a bit curious to pick your brain, Timo, in terms of the uh, upcoming guests for this podcast. Uh, do you have any advice on like uh, SaaS leaders within Europe uh, that you think would be, would, be, would be good for me to invite to this podcast? I think if he's interested, Sami... Um... Do you know the company name? Sami Toivonen. Eh? He is like one of the best RevOps people in Finland. He he knows SaaS super well. Like super well. He has done, I think, some efforts where they try to globalize uh, their business. He has been in event industry and with sales tools and stuff like that. Like he would be perfect oh nice do you know the name of the company uh smart button it's this okay nice i'll add that to the the podcast pipe <laughs> uh all right it's time for me to uh, to summarize a bit and i'm gonna do it with uh, three of my key takeaways based on uh, what we talked about and uh, <clears throat> One thing that I'm taking with me is uh, what you talked about in terms of sales. So basically finding the balance between value proposition and trust. If you have one of those two, it's not going to work. Another thing is to basically (laughs) multiply by three or uh, by pi when going into a new market. Uh, That's going to be an important factor to keep track of the metrics that you want to measure and also to know that some metrics uh, will depend if it's the first or the fifth market that you enter. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, really, really important to set up an exit plan if it doesn't work out. Do that before you enter. Otherwise, it's going to be uh, a lot of cash burn. 
Exactly. And even better than exit plan, have a plan and execute it. And if the results are not good, part of your plan is to get out. Mm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Timu, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, episode. And I wish you and uh, Selai all the best going forward. Thank you. It was great to be here. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phones. One call close. All right. Shifting the focus to you that's been listening. Just want to remind you that this is an interactive podcast. So hit the link in the episode description. There you can join the discussion with other listeners and comment on episodes. You can also submit ideas for upcoming guests, topics, or simply upvote what other people have already suggested. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to someone that might be curious, friends, coworker, or that random person in your LinkedIn feed. Last but not least, leave a rating if you enjoyed it. While you're at it, add me on LinkedIn to see short video clips from the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya. Last quarter, I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I want to witch my prospects. I should phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phones. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phones. Last quarter, I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I want to witch my prospects. I should phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone.